Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners and thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you could join me for this new episode where we take a look at a bizarre chain of events that would eventually create a frenzy of fear in the small Illinois town of Enfield during the early 1970s. And let me state right from the start, this is not the Enfield Horror Poltergeist case from Ed and Lorraine Warren that was highlighted in the film The Conjuring 2. But before we start, as a reminder, please be sure to take a look at the podcast Facebook page. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes with answers given during the next episode, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. Now... On to our episode. On April 25, 1973, Henry McDaniel was among the first to encounter the terrible entity known as the Enfield Horror in Enfield, Illinois. At about 9.30 p.m. that night, McDaniel and his wife had returned home and were greeted by their two children, Henry and Lil. The kids proceeded to tell him about how some thing tried to get into the house by scratching on the door. He thought the kids were exaggerating, as kids sometimes do. However, shortly afterward, Henry heard a strange scratching sound at his front door. As he walked to the front door, he expected to see a dog or a cat, but what he met instead was far creepier and a true shock. What he found to his terror was a creature that had three legs on it, a short body, two small short arms, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half feet tall and was grayish colored, and it was trying to get into the house. McDaniel was completely horrified by the sight of this awful apparition, slammed the door, and rushed to grab his 22 caliber pistol and a flashlight. He proceeded to fire on the creature four times, and according to him, when I fired that first shot, I know I hit it. The beast hissed at him and proceeded to bound away in long leaps across the yard, eventually becoming lost to McDaniel's sight as it made its way towards the railroad tracks and the cover of the trees. Stunned by the encounter, Henry called the police. During the early 1970s, something horrible stalked the small town of Enfield, Illinois. Although Illinois is home to plenty of creepy happenings, it's already a location for phenomena such as strange lights, phantom black panthers, UFOs, dogmen, and even thunderbirds. But in the early 1970s, something even stranger briefly haunted the people of the town and surrounding area, something that came from a disturbing part of the state. In the most southern portions of the region, the Shawnee National Forest covers miles and miles of territory. The acres of forest seem almost untouched by man, and some believe that strange things occasionally pass through the area, unseen by human eyes. You see, this southern portion of the state is sometimes referred to as the Devil's Kitchen, a designation left behind by the Native Americans and early settlers. The term referred to strange lights and sounds like 
unexplained balls of light, apparitions, screams in the night, and various other unsettling types of happenings. The Native Americans often considered such sites as sacred, but the settlers usually believed them to be cursed, or at least to be avoided. The idea that such locations were linked to the devil was the first thought that crossed the minds of the Bible-reading, God-fearing settlers, and they swiftly set about doing two things. First, they learned to avoid these strange and haunted places. And secondly, they gave names to the sites to alert other visitors and settlers of the dangers there. In the case of the Devil's Kitchen, just about anything is possible. From accounts of ghosts to mysterious animals and weird monster sightings, such as the one Enfield would soon encounter. Before the sightings of the 1970s, there were earlier sightings of an equally strange creature in the region that makes one wonder if there could be a connection. The Mount Vernon creature. Between the years of 1941 and 1942, there was a string of sightings similar to Enfield in the small village of Mount Vernon, which just happens to be less than 40 miles away from Enfield. These encounters involved a mysterious leaping beast that terrorized the local people and was supposedly responsible for numerous animal deaths and mutilations in the region. The locals called the creature the Mount Vernon Monster and described it as being vaguely baboon-like in appearance. It was said to be able to leap anywhere from 20 to 40 feet in a single bound. This creature was often likened more to the devil monkey than the infield monster. Still, it is possible this was in fact the same creature. But let's get back to our infield encounter. As described by McDaniel, the creature he confronted was certainly bizarre. Was it an alien, a demon, or a genetic mutation? Well, whatever the infield horror was, it certainly was one of the absolutely strangest creatures ever to be chronicled in the history of cryptozoology. The weird string of events that would eventually stir the small Illinois town of Enfield into a torrent of terror actually began on the rather chilly night of April 25, 1973. That was when a young boy named Greg Garrett claimed to have been attacked by a truly bizarre beast while playing in his backyard. The same creature, in fact, that McDaniel would encounter later that night. And then more sightings were reported and more possible witnesses of the creature came forward to detail their encounters. The new entity was given the name the Enfield Horror based on the descriptions of its strange and grotesque appearance. After word of the Enfield Horror had gotten around, well, people began to flock to the small town in hopes of seeing the thing. They were very excited, but they were also very intrusive. This prompted then-local sheriff Roy Posher Jr. to warn McDaniel about keeping his mouth shut or he would be forced to incarcerate him. Sheriff Posher made numerous threats against McDaniel, which it should be noted had no effect. McDaniel was convinced that there was something very strange going on and he wasn't about to keep it to himself. Over the next few months, the crowds began to grow larger. With the larger crowds came increased alarm among the citizens of Enfield. That's because the newcomers to town didn't arrive empty-handed. Some among them were genuine monster hunters, but others were just hunters or thrill-seekers with guns. Five men caused a stir when they started blasting at the underbrush outside of town. Two of the hunters, Mike Mogul and Roger Tappy, both from Indiana, swore they had witnessed a gray monkey-like creature. The two men said they saw a gray, hairy creature streaking into the underbrush and that it moved faster than a man. Four of the five men fired at it, and two of them claimed that they hit it. 
However, on a report of gunshots, White County Sheriff's deputies arrested all five men. All were from out of town, and all were under the age of 20. White County Deputy Sheriff Jim Clark said, Nothing I know of is in season now, especially monsters. Anybody we know of out hunting monsters, especially with guns, will be put in jail. We're afraid they'll kill somebody. Soon, noted cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman arrived on the scene to investigate eyewitness claims, as well as an alleged sound recording of the creature. Coleman also heard the unsettling cry of the creature himself while searching an area where eyewitnesses claimed to have seen the monster. In the July 1974 edition of Fate magazine, Coleman and Jerome Clark featured the infield horror in an article entitled, Swamp Slobs Invade Illinois. Coleman even chronicled discussing this intriguing case with famed paranormal investigator, as well as best-selling author of the Mothman Prophecies, John A. Keel, in his book, Mothman and Other Curious Encounters. Coleman would contrast his infield investigation with another he conducted regarding a legendary creature that many assumed was also from an alien origin, a melon-headed monster known as the Dover Demon. Said Coleman, The infield horror was my case investigation. It was much different than the Dover Demon, however, and was more like a combo phantom kangaroo, devil monkey, and swamp ape situation. Yet the infield horror wasn't quite done. Once the frenzy of hunters and tourists had died down and Coleman departed, four more people would report seeing the infield horror. Well, after word of the infield horror had gotten around, people began inundating the small town in hopes of seeing the creature, and there were further sightings. Here, then, are some accounts of sightings of the infield horror. We first return to that evening of April 25, 1973, and continue with young Greg Garrett's story and our leading story of Henry McDaniel's encounter. The Garrett Encounter On that chilly night, young Greg Garrett claimed to have been attacked by a truly weird and terrifying beast while playing in his backyard. The child described the being as having no less than three legs, grayish, slimy skin, short claws, and reddish eyes. The creature apparently stamped on the boy's feet with its own three, apparently clawed, foot-like appendages. The creature then ripped at the child's clothes with the claws on his arms, while the talons on the toes of the monstrosity began to slice up his shoes. It continued to tear his tennis shoes to shreds. Garrett, crying hysterically, wasted no time scrambling away from the monster and back into the safety of his parents' house. Young Greg's encounter was technically the first on record, but the one that brought this creature to notoriety came just a half hour later. That was when the Garrett's neighbor, Henry McDaniel, and his family had their own face-to-face encounter with the astonishing entity. The McDaniel Encounter As we previously detailed, Henry McDaniel and his family had the most significant encounter with the creature. What McDaniel found to his terror was a creature he would later describe to the authorities. It had three legs on it, short body, two little short arms, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half feet tall and was grayish colored, and it was trying to get into our house. Henry was completely shocked by the sight of this horrific apparition, slammed the door, and rushed to grab his 22 caliber pistol and a flashlight. McDaniel proceeded to fire on the creature four times, and according to him, when I fired that first shot, I know I hit it. The beast 
hissed at him, with some sources saying it sounded like a wildcat, and proceeded to bound away in long leaps across the yard, eventually becoming lost to his sight as it made its way towards railroad tracks and the cover of trees. As unbelievable as it may seem, McDaniel claimed the creature covered an area of over 50 feet in a series of just three astonishing leaps. Stunned by the encounter, McDaniel proceeded to call the police. Upon investigation, the state troopers discovered a series of scratches in the siding of the house and footprints. The prints were very similar to a dog's, but having six toes instead of four. Two of the tracks were four inches wide, while the print left by the third foot was smaller. The Second Encounter Many on the police force were skeptical about what McDaniel had seen, despite having just received news of an attack on a small boy just 30 minutes earlier. However, the police could not find any trace of the entity, so things cooled down for the moment. However, on May 6th at 3 a.m. in the morning, McDaniel encountered the creature again after having been awakened from his sleep by commotion from his neighbor's dogs. Once again, he saw the creature as it loitered near the train tracks. This went on for several minutes until the entity casually bounced away into the night. McDaniel later said, I saw something moving out on the railroad tracks and there it stood. I didn't shoot at it or anything. It started on down the railroad track. It wasn't in a hurry or anything. As is always the case with an astounding event such as this, it wasn't long before the press got wind of the weirdness and came out in full force. But it wasn't until McDaniel's second report that the media frenzy truly kicked into overdrive and people began to flock to the small town. The Monster Hunter's Encounter Due to where the sightings had occurred, amateur monster hunters began patrolling the area near the L&N railroad tracks. It was on one such expedition that the five young men we spoke of earlier allegedly had a run-in with a creature identical to the one that Garrett and McDaniel encountered, with one notable addition being that they described the beast as being hairy. After firing at it, they reported it was indestructible when bullets were fired, and that the monster ran off at a speed they speculated was greatly in excess of any a human could achieve. The Rick Rainbow Encounter On Sunday, May 6th, Rick Rainbow, the then director of radio station WWKI in Kokomo, Indiana, was searching an area with three friends when they suddenly saw something that was around five and a half feet in height, gray, and stooped over running through the woods near an abandoned house. It was later reported this house was near McDaniel's home. The entity moved with an unnatural speed and quickly vanished from the four men's sight. However, Rainbow claimed he recorded the creature's eerie shriek on a tape recorder as it ran away. Despite a few further sightings and the occasional investigation in the years after, the creature has not been seen since. While there have certainly been other creature sightings over the decades in this general region of Illinois, such as the Big Muddy Monster out of Murfreesboro, none have matched the bizarre descriptions of the infield horror. And as we usually find, and make an effort to present, there is another side to the story, the side represented by the skeptics. Western Illinois University published a study on social contagion as it relates to the infield horror case. Social contagion being the currently accepted terminology for what we used to call mass hysteria. 
As the study says, social contagion is an assumption that under certain conditions, widespread masses of people rapidly and unanimously adopt patterns of behavior that are intense, unwitting, and non-rational. Social contagion or mass hysteria is interesting because it's a conclusion that frequently forces eyewitnesses to choose between insisting their hard-to-believe account is true or admitting they've been swept up in senseless hysteria. Let's face it, nobody wants to admit that they've been fooled, or even worse, caught up in goings-on to the degree that they not only witnessed events but are now participating in the reports about them. If you witnessed a Bigfoot and you were certain you saw a Bigfoot, would you readily admit you were wrong when that sighting is explained the following day as a bear? What if you already told all your friends what you saw? What if a person slightly exaggerated what they saw? Would that person then be less likely to admit the truth? Because admitting the truth would expose their fabrication? The study makes the point these are questions we have to ask when we're gauging the truthfulness and motivation of reports like the Enfield Horror. According to writer Kelsey Christine McConnell of TheLineup.com, in 1978, five years after the reported sightings, the Western Illinois University sociologists' research found that, in actuality, there were no more than three first-hand accounts of the beast which seemed to grip the town in fear. Beyond that, these reports had been afterwards exaggerated by the news and the local gossip mill, turning a puzzling incident into a horrifying legend. Their paper highlights that many reports admitted there was some validity to the belief that people had seen an array of animals rather than a beast. Further research into the subject found others admitting that Henry McDaniel had a notoriously overactive imagination. On the McDaniel and WWKI Radio Infield reports, Western Illinois' university study concluded, In this area of southern Illinois, it is not unreasonable to assume Mr. M or the radio news team had actually seen an animal. People we interviewed framed the recent events in these terms. Their accounts admitted the possibility that large dogs, calves, bears, deer, and wildcats had been sighted. Some frames suggested that an exotic pet, such as an ape or a kangaroo, was the catalyst for the monster reports. Finally, some people, tactfully, suggested that Mr. M had a notoriously overactive imagination and had probably been shooting at shadows. In any event, we interviewed only one person who agreed with Mr. M's claim that he had indeed seen a monster from outer space. Other investigators have suggested the monster was associated with a rash of UFO sightings that allegedly plagued the region during the same period, with the obvious association of the creature and the UFOs suggesting it was an alien being. Those with a more supernatural leaning have asserted the beast with its tendencies to be aggressive toward humans and trying to break into their homes has all of the earmarks of a classic demon attack. By May 16, 1973, a man named Alan Yorkshire of Elleria, Ohio, wrote a letter to the newspaper in Enfield. The problem, there was no newspaper in Enfield. It's a really small town. So, city treasurer Murtis Fields opened the letter and reported the contents back to the police. Yorkshire believed the Enfield monster was his kangaroo, Macy, 
who had either escaped or been stolen. He offered a $500 reward for the animal's return and announced plans to visit the city to search for the kangaroo. But whether he actually showed up or ever found the animal is unknown. Depending on which account you're talking about, a number of exotic pets could account for any of the sightings that are legitimate. The idea that a kangaroo could look like a monster with three legs when it's sitting in the dark with its tail in a tripod position is definitely plausible. Despite investigation by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman and attention to the case over the years, the creature has not been seen since those events of 1973. According to Coleman in his book, Bigfoot, The True Story of Apes in America, there was a wave of different monster sightings in the Midwest before, during, and years after Enfield, yielding colorful names like Momo and the Big Muddy Monster. Considering all these accounts that don't sound like the suggested kangaroos, bears, dogs, calves, deers, or escaped apes, maybe McDaniel was right when he said, if they do find it, they will find more than one, and they won't be from this planet, I can tell you that. I traveled to Enfield, investigated the witnesses, looked at the sighting of the house the Enfield monster had damaged, heard some strange screeching banshee-like sounds, and walked away bewildered, said Coleman. Is it possible that the Enfield horror, whatever it may be, is working on a 50-year cycle? There are no reputable accounts of the creature coming yet from the 21st century, but we cannot entirely count out the possibility that this thing is a long slumbering phenomenon that rears its head every so often to feed on animals and terrify locals. Or, stranger still, an extraterrestrial that only stops by every so often when it's in this part of the galaxy. Or maybe an interdimensional being that visits occasionally or who may never return to this dimensional plane. And what do you make, listeners, of the most plausible explanations? An escaped pet kangaroo? Mass hysteria? What it was, or is, we just don't know. What it wanted, what its intentions were, Again, we don't know. Whatever this creature is or is not, it has not been reported in almost 50 years. Will it return? Maybe it already has. Maybe it's lurking even now in the shadows of some old train yard, waiting to creep up to another house in the dark of night and scratch on the door. Well, in our next episode, we look at a very unique class of UFOs that are purported to be black triangle alien craft. They have a very distinctive wedge or pie slice shape. And they've been seen thousands of times all around the globe. Sighting reports have flooded in for years, enough to make these types of crafts a very distinctive subclass of UFO sightings. And we'll take a special look at the famous wave of triangular UFO sightings over Belgium, from 1989 to 1990. Join us as we take a look at these strange and widespread black triangle UFOs next time on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. That's right, it is time for the quiz, folks. And here we go. Momo is what kind of creature? Is it A, Bigfoot, B, Lake Monster, C, giant bird, or D, voodoo spirit. Once again, 
Momo is what kind of creature? Is it a Bigfoot, a lake monster, a giant bird, or a voodoo spirit? And the answer is... A. A Bigfoot-like creature. Momo the monster, also known as the Missouri monster, and Momo is short for Missouri monster, is said to be an ape-like creature similar to descriptions of Bigfoot, but distinctly different as well. Witnesses describe the creature as a large bipedal humanoid about seven feet tall, covered in dark hair that emits a putrid odor. And that certainly sounds like Bigfoot. But it is also described as having a very conspicuous pumpkin-sized head. It has so much fur on its head that its face cannot be seen with the exception of glowing orange eyes. The creature was allegedly seen by numerous people in and around the rural town of Louisiana, Missouri in 1971 and 1972. The most well-known report of Momo took place on the afternoon of July the 11th, 1972. It was a hot afternoon with a slow, warm wind. Eight-year-old Terry Harrison and his five-year-old brother Wally were playing in their backyard at the foot of Marzolf Hill on the outskirts of town. Their older sister Doris was inside the house when she heard her brother screaming. She looked out the bathroom window and was shocked and horrified by what she saw. There was a huge, black, hairy, man-like creature standing by a tree, his huge hands clutching the bloody corpse of a dog. Doris reported the creature was at least seven feet tall, and its head sat right on its shoulders like it didn't have a neck at all. Its head was big and round like a pumpkin, she said, and out from behind its shaggy black hair were two brightly glowing orange eyes. Well, more reports of sightings and encounters began pouring in. Momo was reported to be seen up and down the Mississippi River with later sightings occurring further west along other waterways. Others described having caught fleeting glimpses of something in the woods, while some said they smelled something horribly rotten or heard haunting cries, growls similar to a bear's, and inhuman screams. One notable sighting was from the local fire department chief and member of the city council, Richard Allen Murray. Murray reported driving along a creek bed when he saw a massive upright creature in his vehicle's headlights. Before long, the news media picked up the story, attracting curiosity seekers and monster hunters from around the country. At one point, a 20-person posse was put together to kill the monster, but the creature was never found. Tracks were found and submitted to Lawrence Curtis, director of the Oklahoma City Zoo, who believed the tracks to be that of an unknown primate species. After a rash of early sightings, the encounters occurred less and less over the next few years before they stopped altogether. As a side note, American theme park Six Flags St. Louis had a ride that operated from 1973 until 1994 that was named after the creature. It's an interesting enough case, listeners, where we'll pick up this story next year. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, 
if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.